What is up hoopers, analytics, bag guys, bucket getters, boosters, blue bloods, and new bloods. This is Modelo Tuck. I am not dead but still do not have a voice. On today's episode, the rest of the squad are talking the tournament. They give their reactions from last week's games and give a little peek ahead. We are also joined by Auburn Sweetie and medical expert Melissa. Enjoy. Hello, Hoop World. I'm Kyle Sessions, filling in for Tuck Clary, who once called me a legit six-footer. And joining me today, it's the Ivy League Walker Kessler, flaming out of the tournament early, the Princeton Tiger himself, Austin King. What up, boys? And we've got the world in his mentions and the team on his shoulders while dunking on everything and everyone. It's Josh Linky. Hiya, fellas. And joining us also today is a special guest. Her heart is more broken than KD Johnson's jump shot mechanics. It's Melissa. Hi, guys. What's up? And today we are all here to talk about the tournament, the key mismatches and upsets from the weekend, sprinkle in a little Big Ten slander, and end with an Auburn eulogy, a proper send-off for one of the best teams in the country. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. Hey, Hoop fans, how would you like to get a 125% sign-up bonus up to $2,500? Join BetUS with promo code NEWBLOODS, that's N-E-W-B-L-O-O-D-S at BetUS.com, where the game begins. First up today, I, something that I think everyone can be truly happy about was a massive win over Memphis for the Zags. Um, let's break down that game. Uh, what did you all think? Uh, what was your what was the best part of that game? Uh, and uh, let's let's maybe talk about some players of the game. Break it down a little bit. Yeah. So I mean, let's be real. Like this game did not start out well for Gonzaga at all. There was there was some problems in that first half. Uh, Memphis definitely out toughed the Zags and led to um, a relatively large lead at the half. What was it? Ten points, I believe. Ten points. Yep. Um, you know, I don't think any of us saw the game script going that way, but you know, ultimately what happened was Drew Timmy went in the locker room, said, all y'all guys stop being soft, get your ass on the court and play. No, and what happened? Friggin' Drew Timmy shows up and goes supernova over the first 10 minutes of the second half. I mean, let's be real. Like this, this conversation all season long has been Drew Timmy is weak. Drew Timmy is not the player he was last year. He's not the national player of the year we all thought he was going to be. But it was was there a more impressive player in the entire tournament over that 10-minute span than Drew Timmy? I don't think so. The guy came out and just dropped heat on Memphis. Yeah, as much as we like have talked about the national players of the year from the Big Ten, which where's the, where are they at? Uh, I think they're at home now. Um, or Oscar Shibway, who's at home now. Uh, Drew Timmy is the best and most dominant low post scorer in the country, and it's not really a question to me. And when he wants to take over, uh, there is not a single player or team in the country that can stop him. He went on an 11-0 run by himself. Uh, he almost outscored Memphis in those first 10 minutes of the second half. Um, it was 20-18 to 18 
in the first 10 minutes of the second half. I mean, he was absolutely dominant. And it's not like he was doing this against Georgia State or some scrub team like Miami. He was doing this against Memphis, who is a very good defense with one of the best shot blockers in the country in Jalen Duran. Um, they had Malcolm Dandridge, who is a beast. That dude is huge. Uh, and DeAndre Williams, who's also extremely athletic. This was not against some scrub team. Uh, Memphis is playing like one of the best teams in the country. Let's be real. They were more uh, resemblance of a two or a three seed uh, than they were a nine. Um, and Gonzaga really pulled it out because Drew Timmy went off. And of course, Andrew Nemhard was fantastic in that game. Watching that game, I couldn't get over just the patience and maturity of Drew Timmy. Like, I think Josh teased me about this, but it feels like he's been at Gonzaga for six years. And, like, it's because he plays like someone who's been there for six years. Like, he never tries to rush anything. He's really patient to take a shot. And he doesn't – he really doesn't take, like, bad shots. He takes good shots and waits for that opportunity. And, like, you can have a game all day where people are slashing down and down off the court. But if you are taking control of the game when the ball's in your hand, you're going to make the difference every time. And Drew Timmy literally came out of half and was like, absolutely not on my watch. Like, we're doing this on my timeline and in my house. It was amazing. Yeah, the uh, even as much as you said, Josh, how we didn't look great kind of closing out that final five minutes of the first half and we really let that lead get away from us. Um, Ken Palm actually has our lowest win probability during that time as 45%. So, like, we barely gave up ever a chance of winning that game and it still felt like we were down tremendous um and it ended up being the biggest comeback in gonzaga postseason history um i think credit to uh stephen carr for pulling that one out today but it didn't feel like that at the time but uh, that's because the arena really never lost hope like being in there in person and seeing everybody standing up for 12 straight minutes in the second half and just believing in that team and i will say as much as Drew Timmy did look patient, he also, there was a few shots where I was like, man, that looked a little forced and it went in anyway. And I was just like, this man is on a mission. Like he is not going to lose this game and he's not going to lose, especially to all of these dudes who don't have the skill. They just have the size to bang down low. And he just showed that, you know, skill is going to outdo you in these situations, especially when, um, you know, you're going up against those guys and they're just completely gassed because they don't have the same level of conditioning. And um, lastly, but not least, I want to touch on Austin, what you said about Nemhard. I mean, that is his best shooting performance of the season. I think 50% Mm -hmm. on 10 attempts from three. That was absurd. I have never seen him do anything like that. Um, So I was just blown away that like he knew exactly what needed to be done. And uh, Ray Bolton said it, if they space, they're screwed. Like, 10 mm-hmm. attempts, five, makes five of them. Uh, Russier did the same thing, three for six. So they lit it up. Um, and once Chet comes around and starts making his threes again, it's going to be hard to beat them. And one of the reasons why I think Gonzaga struggled in that first half was because Memphis was able to play extremely physical. We saw that they got into a ton of foul trouble. Um, they had three players with four fouls. Um, and it was because they were fouling early and Gonzaga was not making their free throws. They ended up shooting 54% from the line um, for the game. And when you're not making your free throws and the team is being extremely physical, um, you're just going to struggle and you're not going to be able to score at the you know points per possession that you need to to get any kind of lead. Uh, that's something to look 
forward to um, in this next game against Arkansas and going forward in the rest of the tournament, if they do beat Arkansas, um, they're, they're going to need to shoot closer to that 70% rate that they have been because teams are going to continue to foul and foul and foul and play extremely physical. And if you're not converting at the line, it's going to be extremely difficult uh, to pull out games. Yeah, I, I agree. I think one thing too, though, that, that really, you know, shines a light on, on the level that this team brings every, every day is the experience of that backcourt. Andrew Nemhard and Roger Bolton are possibly the most experienced backcourt in the tournament left. Um, Andrew Nemhard had one of his top 10 most efficient offensive games of the season against Memphis. And I mean, it was, it was apparent when he was on the floor, who was running the show and not just our show. He was dictating the flow, the pace that Memphis played at too. He was able to be a magician as we've called him before on the court and, and just really control everything that was happening. And um, you know, the level of play that, that a guard like Andrew Nemhart brings to the table is it can't be overstated in, in the NCAA tournament. This, this is the time of the year when experienced guards always come through and shine. And um, I don't think that there's a better guard in the country left in the tournament outside of maybe Colin Gillespie. And that's, that's really about it. No, those are the clear cut two best yeah. point guards in the country. Right. And, and in my opinion, Andrew Nemhart's probably a better pure point guard. Colin Gillespie is really more of a scoring guard. Yeah. He so to score yeah. first. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. that's not a knock on Colin Gillespie at all. That's just what his role is with that team. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew's just that he's, he's always looking to create, to, to find his teammates, to distribute, um, to run everything that goes through that offense. It's a hundred percent on his shoulders. And he, has lived up to that and more this season. I mean, 40 minutes played against Memphis, 40 minutes played. And this is not the first time he's played 40 minutes in a game. This guy probably has played more. I I honestly haven't looked this up, but I would bet he's played more minutes than any other point guard in the country, hands down. Well, then let's move to the next game uh, on our little uh, sheet here and talk about that uh, North Carolina Baylor matchup, um, one of the best right. teams, or what one pe- what what people thought was one of the title contenders, goes down to a team that Josh and I thought several weeks ago shouldn't even be in the tournament, and now they're moving into the Sweet Sixteen. And Brady, do you Manic. guys want to offer your apologies to the Tar Heels first? No, <laughs> I I will so never cool. ever apologize to North Carolina fans about anything that I ever say ever. I'm sorry, it's it, it's not going to happen. There's too many wounds there, really, but yeah. Uh, they don't. I don't owe them anything. <laughs> Even though Kyle named his cat after Kennedy Meeks, uh, he right. still won't. You know. He still Kyle, won't offer Kyle has an no no loyalty. He has seventy five teams. Absolutely, yeah, no that's loyalty. true. All we, we got to do that in, hurts. All we got to really do hurts. in response to North Carolina fans is to show them a picture of Kennedy Meeks and his hands sitting on the uh, out of bounds line, holding onto the ball. Um, in such a pivotal moment of that 2017 oh. national championship game. So, yeah, I there is no apologies. I will always shit on North Carolina, period. And shout uh. out to huge fan of the pod, Eric, uh, for calling out the fact that there was an out-of-bounds call on UNC in that Baylor game that made me just relive that entire sequence and <laughs> want to mm. cry. I, I called that game the uh, Gonzaga Heartbreak Bowl. Uh, you know, having to see Baylor and UNC and wish they could both lose, but 
obviously yeah. not possible. This uh, this game, the the UNC Baylor game, could possibly be the worst officiated game I've seen all year, and and it's really not even that close until Arizona TCU, like. <laughs> I, I it, it was it was like up until that point in the weekend we were like man that game was just so terribly called and then we got to Arizona TCU and my god did the Horn Frogs get shafted at the end of that game but um you know honestly like I found myself rooting for North Carolina for the first time in my life against Baylor and I don't know why I mean I I'm not really that salty about Baylor winning the Nationals I'm really not about it, it's it's funny because mm-hmm. like a lot of mm-hmm. Gonzaga totally fans are definitely like, not uh-huh. Josh we're yeah, definitely not salty at all why I would cheer against a team that beat me in the national championship last year after this a season for the ages I can't fathom why I would root against them <laughs> no, I hate we, I, we I, I generally for Baylor we I generally hate North Carolina more than I hate Baylor, though, which is the, the funny part because it's like Listen, they, they both beat hatred. us. Yeah, well, recency bias for sure for a lot of Gonzaga <laughs> fans. But um, it's it's funny to me because it's like that game against North Carolina, we should have probably won. Like there was some very questionable things that happened in that game. And, the, and we had a chance in the last minute to win, and it just kind of fell apart right at the end. Whereas with Baylor – from the opening tip, they controlled the entire game. So it's like I knew five minutes into that game, the way it was being played, the flow, the pace, how good they were defensively. That okay, if okay, can we can we can we can we stop? I'm like that, getting sick. that feeling is really familiar for me. Um, it's actually a really recent feeling. So if you could, oh, just... yeah, yeah. <laughs> when the well. stakes aren't as high, <laughs> you know, it uh, okay. doesn't feel well. the same. Maybe no. Either way, let's let's yeah, cook on Brady Manning not... though. Come on, that yeah, guy yeah, had let's... an absolute. Showcase, ginger jesus um, <laughs> absolute showcase for them from uh three and just shooting in general four for eight uh you know a 158 offensive rating uh although somehow rj davis still got the mvp according to ken palm i guess probably because he played more minutes he also he shot ejected. Yeah. he also shot 50 percent from mm. three as well but that North Carolina team uh, shot the ball insanely well and shot their free throws really well as well. And uh, I don't know. I just – what do you guys think about that game? I mean, the fact that Brady got freaking flagrant two kicked out of the game over the what he got kicked out for is absurd. And he probably – had he been in that, that game down the stretch, there, there would have been no run by Baylor to try to – you know, tie the game. Like that's, that's not happening. Um, North Carolina controlled pace and play that entire game. Mm-hmm. And then that completely, the refs basically took over and changed the entire flow of the game. I mean, it's, it was ugly. It was ridiculous. And um, I, I think it's a travesty that we, we have these types of conversations every tournament. There's a referee crew that seemingly finds their, their way into the spotlight and stardom because they're controlling the play, pace and play of a game. Baylor going on an 11-0 run inside the 10th minute and then a 12-0 run inside the 5th minute was just insane. I've never I haven't seen something like that in a in a long time in terms of of a of a straight up comeback and then to still lose the game I think was pretty disappointing. Um I I don't I don't know how they collapsed uh after putting together such a good couple possessions down the stretch. Um, I usually hate the narrative of like this team wanted it more. In fact, I always hate that narrative because I think that athletes period want to win. They're not like here playing for their college to like lose. 
But I do think that UNC played with a, a sense of urgency and confidence that Baylor did not come out with. And I don't think, I, I mean, the run was, both runs were beautiful and I was impressed and it was great, fun and beautiful basketball. But like, I didn't, I went into overtime and I was like, UNC's got this. Like, because they were playing with a level of confidence that Baylor was just kind of like, uh, they felt panicked and UNC felt urgent being different kind of vibes. See, yeah. I went into that overtime feeling the complete opposite. I was like, oh, Baylor's going to win this. They're going to pull this out. Like, and then they just couldn't, they could not score in mm-hmm. overtime. That the whole push, I think it just completely exhausted them. In the last 10 minutes of the game, they scored 35 points. North Carolina only had 13. And you thought, wow, okay, Baylor's really going to like pull this out. And then they just kind of collapsed. And I think part of that was not having a guy like Cryer that can like make his own offense on his own and just having those individual creators was really tough. Like Flagler was good, but he wasn't super efficient. Only shot three from 11 for three. Like you could tell that those guards were just tired after that huge push. And you thought the momentum maybe would get him over the edge and I felt like North Carolina was kind of falling apart and not having manic. And then they just turned it around in that overtime period. Um, and honestly, we've been talking, maybe me, I've talked a lot of shit about North Carolina um, and Hubert Davis, not being the coach that's capable of taking over Roy Williams. And I think he's really like proven. I don't think we can say for sure. He's you know going to be a great at North Carolina um, and the mold of Dean Smith or Roy Williams, but he's, he's showing at least, you know, I, he is built for this, uh, and could be a great coach at North Carolina. Um, and it wouldn't shock me if they make an elite eight or go further than that right now. Yeah. I, I think the thing that I agree with you that normally going into an overtime period, I'm going to always take the favorite, like the original favorite. Um, and, and Arizona TCU is a great example of this. Um, it, you know, TCU had so much momentum leading up to that, those final few possessions, they, and they get the lead and then they're gassed like at that point, And they just don't have the, the horses to keep up with Arizona at that point, Arizona has so many more athletes, so much more talent across the board. Um, that was a, a legitimate, you know, TCU's the underdog, um, mm. across the board in this game though, I feel like it's an unusual game because North Carolina has just as many athletes, if not more as Baylor. And they have the ability to go on those runs. They have the ability to stave off other teams runs. And I feel like in this game, the script, like you said, Baylor had had gassed themselves by spending so much energy on such a huge comeback at the end of that game. And then North Carolina just was like, we got it. We, we're going to push through. We're going to get those those last few free throws we need to get and and ice this game. And they were able to do that. I mean, wasn't it tied for the biggest comeback in NCAA tournament history? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Had, had I mean, Baylor you, it, won. Yeah, it would have been the biggest, I think. Yeah. It would have been tied. I mean, there was another one that was 25, but I can't remember yeah. what was it okay. was. Two more things, and then we'll move on to the Arizona game since Josh uh, kind of tied these two things in. I think they fit together pretty well, but I want to I want to point out that that North Carolina out rebounded Baylor thirty seven to twenty two, and I wonder if having Chama Chachua would have made a little bit of a difference in this game. And then also um, Armando Baycott 
having 12 of those rebounds um, was just absurd. And actually, mm-hmm. he had 14 rebounds total because he had four offensive rebounds as well. But just those second chance points and and those defensive rebounds seem to have really turned those extra possessions over to get those three point shots falling. Um, so did they miss Chamachachua a lot, or did Sohan make up the difference with his rebounding? Right, I think I think they did, but they also didn't because Sohan was such a huge piece to keeping Baylor in that game or even getting them back into it. The way that he played that game, and I think we all agree that he was dirty as hell. And um, he kind of he reminded a lot of people, not just me. In the moment, I was like, "Damn, this is very Rodman esque." But there was like at least a dozen other tweets I saw come across the timeline where people felt the same way. And I don't know if it's the coloring of his hair or whatever he does, you know, just his attitude, his his you know funkiness that he brings to the table. But um, you know, honestly, like, would he have been able to play that kind of role if JCT was there? Probably not. But I'll tell you what, I fucking love Jeremy Sohan. I love him. I love his game. I don't, I, I know it's a little dirty and like the tripping and like holding a manix leg and all that shit back and forth. You know, I don't, I'm not going to condone it, but also if that was my player, I'd be like, I fucking love this kid. And he plays so hard. My only worry with him is he dyes his hair a lot. And I'm worried that that shit's going to fall out. If you know anything about dyeing your hair, it is not healthy for the roots. And he's a handsome young man. And Austin, I'm if you worried. really knew anything about dyeing hair, you would say it was colored, not dyed, because you can't dye your hair. You can color it, though. That's correct. First of all, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Same, Austin, I'm same, just kidding, man. Do you have man. the same concern for J.D. Davidson? But would he be... So would I Jer- worry... Go ahead. I worry about his hair all the time. No, it's okay. I just I, I worry just about Jamie Davidson's hair. Bald Sohan would be on another level, though, right? Or is that not? Wait, are you saying the opposite? <laughs> well, well, look, look at Rodman. I mean, the comparisons there for us already. Rodman colored his hair his entire career, and probably with far more toxic chemicals than any other person <laughs> on the history of the planet. And I somehow don't think those he... are the toxic chemicals to worry about, though, with Rodman. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about um, Arizona and them barely squeaking by a pretty scrappy TCU team. Lampkin is the MVP of shit-talking in the tournament, I think, at this point. Um, What did we think about that game, everyone? Yeah, I mean, so Lampkin was 100% the reason why TCU was in this game. Um, He just out-hustled, out-toughed, out um energized the Arizona uh, athletes for the majority of that that second half and you know if it if it wasn't for some very questionable calls at the end of that game we'd probably be talking about this guy as a hero right now and instead you know we're we're looking at videos of Benedict Natherin grabbing the boob of a cheerleader for te- Texas Christian so you know i don't know like i i i feel I want to root for Tommy Lloyd. I want to root for Rem Bakamis. I want to root for Umar Balo and, you know, some of the other guys that came over from our coaching staff, Arizona, but I, this team just has villain in it to me. And I don't really feel comfortable hundred percent getting on board with some of the antics and things that they did down the stretch of that game. Um, you should think, never feel comfortable getting on board with someone who is touching a woman who didn't ask to be touched. That's so. that's true. Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to see what, how the NCAA and Arizona handles that situation. Um, I'm going to assume they're going to brush it under the rug. 
because Benedict Mathern is probably the difference between Arizona winning a championship and losing in the next round. But, um, you know, (laughs) I, I just, I look at this situation and I think like it's, it's time the the Gonzaga South arguments and discussions are a little over the top for me at this point. Like I live in Tucson. I'm around the, the Wildcats. No Arizona fans are embracing that title. No Arizona fans are rooting for Gonzaga North. No Arizona fans think that we play a great schedule or have a great team. They doubt us every step of the way. So let's be real. It's time to stop rooting for a team B and root for team A exclusively. I like, I enjoy watching this Arizona team play basketball. Um, the like to touch on that video a little bit it just it's so strange it like actually i'm just like i can't even really understand what's going through his head at all to do that it makes zero sense i like i can't comprehend it at all it's not excusable in any way um josh you're right i would be shocked if arizona did anything uh, is it completely disrespectful? Absolutely. Is it clear what the intent or purpose of what Ben Matherin is doing? I have no clue. Um, but still, there's no excuse for doing that, whether you're intentionally trying to grab this cheerleader's boobs or not. You cannot do that. Um, and does he deserve to be suspended for a game? I have, I have no idea. It's definitely not going to happen, though. Um, right. I, I would be it's not going to happen. He, no. I think that's. I think what I would say, um, if I might, as a woman, is that any guy who's ever accidentally grabbed something on me has immediately apologized. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. The ones who don't meant it, and like. Right there's a difference in intention there and there's a difference in thinking you can get away with something because you are in a position of privilege. And I think that he thinks he has that, um, which is fascinating because as someone who went to a big school, I never met someone who wouldn't have given him the attention he's asking for um, if he asked, but they're not going to do anything. Yeah. He's going to he keep said playing. anything about this yet. I haven't seen any statements. I haven't statements. seen any comment on yeah, it. I don't, at all. I don't see anything coming from him. I'll be honest. Twitter. I barely saw any outrage on Twitter last night, no. other than some TCU fans. So yep. yeah, I don't see and anything I think on Auburn's would... Twitter or on his t- personal Twitter. I will say that the way that uh, people were responding, the majority of people were responding to the video online, was just like he's walking through the tunnel, and it looks like he's about to start like trying to do like you know, high fives to the tunnel, but he's 20 feet in front of it at that point. And so whether or not, like you said, Melissa, it was intentional or unintentional, I think ultimately he has to apologize and we should let the cheerleader's response dictate how we feel about it. Like if she felt like that was not something that to worry about, you know, then I don't know that unless he completely was doing it on purpose, then we got to be like, okay, we need to have a conversation, Ben. Uh, yeah, but I think Kyle, if you're like reaching out to grab something and you accidentally touch a woman's breast, like, would you not just be like, "Hey, girl, so sorry"? Like, yeah, I don't even hundred percent. I don't care how like in the zone you are. Well, he knew what he knew what happened. 
you could tell he knew exactly what happened because as soon as it happens, he brings his arm yeah, behind himself and, all, and grab, he grabbed the back of his jersey as like almost to like overemphasize the fact that he's keeping his arm to himself. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, maybe he didn't necessarily immediately know that was going to happen, but that's neither here nor there because it yeah. did happen and he didn't 100%. apologize in the moment. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, it's just a really simple solution if you do something accidentally. Yeah. Apologize. And right. then you've solved right. all the drama. Because if this video was of him touching her boob and then grabbing her, like, or re- reaching toward her to be like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, this is a different story. Like, right. you would 100% realize in the moment, okay, yeah, he's, it was yeah. totally accidental and he felt bad about exactly. it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, we go, it might have been accidental, but he definitely didn't seem to feel bad about it. Yeah. yeah. I, that's kind of where I was at. Like, but I also see a world like, especially when with all those cameras where if he turns around to go back towards her that it could be create even more problems so i would have just said i apologize like you know what i mean i don't think that like he just needs to speak on it and they need to address it is what really needs to happen before anybody can make a like prediction about what's going to happen but i agree with you all that he's not going to get a game unless yeah. it comes down from the ncaa or something nothing um, i would bet that they don't address it at all <clears throat> They're Let's talk about how bad of a shooting performance they had. 18% from three. Christian Coloco seemed to be the only person that could get the ball in the bucket for in, insane stretches. Uh, 28 points. Um, I know Matherin was called the hero because he hit those two threes in crunch time, but he ultimately mm-hmm. didn't shoot all that well. A lot of his points came at the line. Um just wondering, you know, did we think Coloco sealed that for them, or is that, or is everyone right to say that was Matherin's uh, takeover game? I just, I, 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 I don't see it for him as much. I, as- I think, I think it was Benedict Matherin who, and you could say Coloco too. I mean, really, both of them at the end of the game showed up when it mattered, um, and you know, willed the team to victory. Um, I. I think this all this this thing we're talking about the the shooting issues. All you gotta do is slide down the box score and look at Kerr Creesa, one for ten from three. And this is the same discussion we've had over and over again about the inefficiency of Arizona's backcourt, the inconsistency of Creesa. And um, I know he's hurt. I'm not. I'm not. I have no illusions that he's 100% right now. He's not. Probably 80%, if anything. And so. Did I expect him to come out and have an amazing game? No, but let's be real. If he's not in this game, Arizona probably loses and by a decent margin. So even with his poor play, like they had to have some level of ball handling in that backcourt and and without him, they're screwed. Yep. And I might even argue that they're worse off. If Kirk Reese is going to play at this level, I, I'm not sure I would play him. Or I'm playing him in very spot minutes, and if he's not hitting his threes, if I'm Tommy, I'm pulling him out, and I'm playing Dalen Terry and Ben Matherin at the guard spots and letting them be the one that create and run more things through Tubelis, um, who also did not have a good game. Um, he had a 64 offensive rating, uh, only five points, a two for seven shooting. Um, he's got to be better. Uh, the other thing that we have not talked about with Arizona is actually how young they are. Dalen Terry, freshman. Ben Matherin, freshman. Now, it's COVID year stuff, so technically in their second years. A Coloco, sophomore. Tabellis, freshman. Justin Kyer is the only senior. They don't have a single junior 
on this roster. They do not have any NCAA tournament uh, experience at all. Uh, we talk about, and Tommy Lloyd, first-year coach. He has never been the head man um, leading his team in the tournament. So I, I'm not even sure that the expectations of them making a Final Four run are actually even fair at all. And this TCU game shouldn't have been surprising to us because Jamie Dixon is one of the best coaches in the country. TCU is extremely physical. Um, and they play awesome defense, and they were in the Big 12. They know how to play these top-level teams and have beaten them before. And, you know, I am a little worried going forward, especially Houston and the way that they play. They're going to give Arizona fits. They're going to make it very, very difficult for Arizona to score and to have that free-flowing offense. And if Kirk Carissa is going to be playing 20 to 30 minutes, and he's got to be dealing with the ball pressure of Houston, it's going to be a huge issue. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right about experience. And, you know, they're 355th in the nation in experience. This is not, you know, just you could just look at the roster and see it, but mm-hmm. this is we, – we have we have metrics to, to look at here, and this is very much about as inexperienced as a roster as it gets. And it's, it's fair – but also somewhat unfair that we're having this these ex- expectations for this team because they did not enter the year with these types of expectations at all. No one expected Tommy Lloyd in year one to push Arizona to a one seed. Nobody thought this roster was built for this. And now all of a sudden the expectations are the exact opposite. And it happens so quickly. And, and that's partially Arizona's fault because they out outperformed what we all thought was capable. And you know, I, I get it, but I also think that it's like now Tommy Lloyd's going to have to answer if, if they do lose in the Sweet 16. Shoot, last night, you could see it on his face. Like he was pressed at the end of that game. Mm-hmm. He almost cussed out the, the, the scorekeeper or uh, the clock operator because of that, that, uh, you know, 40 sec the, the shot clock that almost, you know, got screwed up or whatever it was that they, however they interpreted it. And, um, you know, that's not his character. Tommy Lloyd is not that kind of guy. We know that. And, you know, he, you could tell he was stressed out and I, I just, I agree. I think, I I think we all kind of underestimated Houston a little bit coming into the tournament mm-hmm. um, and overestimated Arizona. And now we're in for a potential, you know, battle of Titans, so to speak in this next round. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just don't- I just don't see how anything, I mean, I'm not an Arizona fan and I don't know how delusional they are, but I just don't see how anything other than Tommy Lloyd did well this, like he, he, they they can't look back and be like, oh, this disappointed just because at one point they were the number one team in the country or close to it. You know what I mean? I I don't see that as being indicative of losing in the sweet 16 being an issue. Like if they do drop this game to Houston, Um, but I see what you're saying in terms of he was very worried about that, you know, uh, losing in the second round is Arizona is one of the most delusional fan bases in America, period. And it's this is not even even remotely an exaggeration. I've been exposed to a lot of big time college basketball fan bases in my life. I've lived in places like Kentucky and Washington and Arizona and California and all over this country. And I can tell you right now. That Arizona is the most one of the most delusional 
period. Um, they have unrealistic expectations every single year. They place way too much pressure on their coaches. They always have. They were never satisfied with Sean Miller. And I guarantee you, if, if Tommy Lloyd misses out on a Final Four in year one with these expectations, they're going to be disappointed in Tommy Lloyd immediately. And that's insane. It is. But it's turn over someone, in 20 plus years. As someone from a delusional fan base, <laughs> when, we, when we made it to the Final Four in 19, there was not, I didn't talk to a single Auburn fan who was like furious at the coach or like, and we, we are like, I mean, we're ridiculous. We know that. It's our thing. It's our shtick. But, like, everyone was just so happy to be there truly that year. We, like, couldn't believe we were there. Like, we were so excited. I realized that team didn't have the expectations that this year's team for Auburn had. We'll get into that later. But, like, um, we were just pumped. Like, when they came home, we we had this huge celebration for the Final Four. Like, Kentucky fans made fun of us. They're like, who celebrates that? I'm like, we do. It was our first time. Like, we're just pumped to be there. And I think like hopefully Arizona can extend a similar grace because I mean, what Tommy Lloyd's done, Tommy Lloyd's done this year has been, I mean, fantastic. I don't think there's clear though. Kentucky would kill for a final four right now. Yeah. Yeah. They would have killed for a round of 32. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't think that the the time when I say that, that they're not going to be happy at Tommy Lloyd, I don't mean that he's going to be like going to be fired or on the hot seat or something after year one, but the fan base is definitely going to start rumbling and Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's just different for Arizona. Like it is for any program that's been at the mountaintop at any point in their history, Louisville, um, Kentucky, whoever, if, if you've won national championships, if you've been to final fours and Arizona has four final fours and, and one national title and, and another runner up, um, you know, this, this program is just a little different than the average program. And that's why the expectations are so incredibly hot and really Arizona, uh, rather Tucson, Arizona is, this is the sport in Tucson. Like people yeah. love Arizona football too, but let's be real. Arizona football has never no, done anything. Yeah. Arizona basketball is king. Yep. It's just like in, in Lexington, Kentucky or in Lawrence, Kansas, like basketball is king or in Bloomington, Indiana. In these places, these fan bases take basketball more seriously than they do football. And that's, that's unusual in a place like where you're from Melissa in Auburn, where football is king and basketball is the upstart and and no matter how how good basketball gets like let's be real like football is always going to be more popular because alabama and football go together like you know (laughs) you you can make any comparison you want but um it's it's just different in a place like tucson it's different like in spokane and gonzaga like it's basketball is king in these places it's just a different breed of of thing uh so i just noticed something and Josh, you made this comment earlier that this was the worst refereed game um, of the tournament and maybe of the year. And there's a young man named Doug Shows. You know who is refereeing our game oh, against Arkansas? God. It's all is right. It we'll the... be so far ahead that all those bad calls <laughs> won't, won't move the needle. Or those bad calls and the pace of play of Arkansas could potentially change the complexion. The only thing Arkansas can do is get to the line. So can't wait for that. Well, this is awkward because I'm introducing it for myself. And I feel like 
I, I deserve flowers from my co-host, but I'm going to give them to myself instead. Um, sicko sessions, as they like to call me, is uh, was right and um, might be right again in this next matchup. Um, the Iowa State Cyclones taking care of business, beating Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Johnnies. If you listen to this show, you know that we've been high on the Wisconsin vibes all season. Johnny Davis is supposed to be one of the best players in the country, and he gets absolutely cooked by senior guard Gabe Kalshore, who cannot score the ball in any other game except for that one. Isaiah Brockington completely disappears, and they still somehow manage to take the game. We talk about St. Mary's being ugly ball. I think Iowa State plays the ugliest brand of basketball I've ever seen. Wisconsin is... In Milwaukee at Pfizer Forum, everybody said that's going to be the best home court advantage in the tournament, and they got absolutely dusted by one of the worst offensive teams left in the tournament. And I think that them moving up to fifth in defensive efficiency, Kalsher playing like the way he did, and Davis shooting himself out of the lottery makes this my favorite game of the entire uh, second round, even though the Zags won a, t- a tough game. So I just need to cook on Iowa State. Y'all are tripping. They're going to win again, and they're going to make a trip to the Elite Eight, and everybody's going to be very sad except for me. But I'm willing to I'm willing to revel in it for just a little bit. Yeah, I... It's a victory lap, Kyle. Right. I, uh, I just want to know, did you tell Connor Hope I told you so? No, I feel like I don't have the chops to, like, argue with Connor because he'll just run circles around me with his basketball knowledge. So... I've been avoiding that, but Connor, if you do listen to this, I will plug it here since you can't respond. I told you so. <laughs> juicy, juicy, juicy. I got to say. The, um, the goss, baby. Spill that. No tea. no one trusted you, Kyle, all year, and you, you know, look saying. at you. Look at you. Look, I, would, I do want to shout out, um, I think you say, I think it's Koontz, but it's with a C. I don't know. He played at WSU and hit a crazy shot down the stretch. That three that was like when the game, when Wisconsin was starting to pull back into the game toward like the twelfth minute, he buried a deep three, and it looked like it just turned Johnny Davis into uh, a sniveling little child as he went <laughs> oh for seven from three, and literally without his points at the line, Johnny Davis was irrelevant in that game. A seventy-three yeah. offensive rating. He could not shoot. He could not do anything. He turned the ball over four times in the lane. It was gross, and I don't trust him, and I think he just shot himself out of the lottery. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get a top 15 pick at this point, but Austin, you said you don't tr- You never trusted him. So you can I've never been me. that high on Johnny Davis, to be honest. And definitely not as a pro prospect. So I never believed in this Wisconsin team. I mean, the vibes were cool for a little bit, but I was never like in on Wisconsin. Um, I, I never, <laughs> never believed in the big 10. Is Michigan um, the best team all. in the big 10? Like, is that mm-hmm. happening? I man, I, I can't believe that. Oh, uh, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta ask this question though, um, to Melissa, because you got to see a one Miami hurricane, um, up close and personal, and they are playing the Sicko Cyclones. Do you think that they're going to get um, kind of smoked by the Cyclones, or are they going to be able to pull it out? Are they going to get dragged down into disgusting basketball? Um, so this might just be recency bias, but they remind me a lot of 2019 Auburn. 
Um, they play really fast. Their guards are really good. They can almost score like at will as far as just like reach, just running straight to the perimeter and hitting any three they want. Um, and they played like complete psychopaths the entire game. It felt like if I had not been so sad, I would have felt like I was watching 2019 Auburn again. So I could absolutely see them wrecking Iowa State. I also know that they're so inconsistent. So they could come in and just mm-hmm. like completely crap the bed. But um, they looked so good. I mean, we played like trash, but they looked really good. It looked terrible against USC. So it's just going to be a matter of who shows up. McGusty yeah, and Moore were just so solid in that game. And like, Wong too. yeah, I mean, Wong had obviously the highlight of the game, but I mean, yeah. Moore was just so solid, and he's yeah. tiny. Like, I don't yeah. know how he was carving up such a big front court. It was absurd. Um, but we'll move on from talking about sicko ball because y'all don't want to hear too much more about that. But I will say we probably have another sickos matchup. Um, when uh, Houston gets to play. I think Houston's a sicko team, um, and obviously we get to see Iowa State again. Um, those are like my two picks. For Pencil the, Iowa State in, you know? Yeah, those are my, those are my <laughs> two picks. Send them all the way to New Orleans. For the, round, for the Sweet 16 sicko matchups, I think you're looking at Iowa State and Houston uh, that can really muck it up. Um, what do you think? National championship game of Gonzaga and Iowa State. Rajir Bolton getting uh, some revenge on the Oh, cyclist. I would love that for Rajir, but oh my God, we would only like they would score thirty five and we score seventy. <laughs> like I don't even know what we like that. I, I feel I feel like I was just hit in the head by a two by four when you said that. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't even know. Be I've so been delusional all season, and even I can't get I on board really, with that. That I shit really is. Really, don't want to see that. That no. would be hideous. It, it would be okay. Number one, I feel like Gonzaga would would win by thirty, but not, that's neither here nor there. Because really, at the end of the day, baby. just seeing them get there would be like absolutely Painful. atrocious vibes, like Ugh. horrible vibes for the NCAA tournament. Painful. Like, could you imagine the ratings for Gonzaga? Nobody would watch except for us. There'd be four oh people. God. Maybe Tuck. Tuck would probably watch too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Maybe. Let's get to St. Peter's and Kentucky and that uh, that beautiful, beautiful game and watching the people look, of the Bluegrass State. You guys want to talk about down. Peacocks? Would Melissa, love to discuss Peacocks. I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but the true Peacocks <laughs> are in the Sweet 16. That's okay, St. <laughs> Peter's. Has done something that few programs of their stature get to do. Um, you know, Oral Roberts is in that conversation. What what's some other teams you guys can remember? Low low seeds like this that have gotten all the way, like Florida Gulf Coast. Florida Gulf Coast. Yeah, yeah those are the only one. other two 15 seeds that have made it to the Sweet 16. This this is the ultimate David Versco live story to see. Uh, St. Peter's knockdown Kentucky was absolutely amazing. It was by far one of the best feelings of the tournament so far. And, you know, I, I talked up Kentucky a lot this mm-hmm. year, a Same. lot. I kept saying, oh, Kentucky's a championship level team. They they bring a lot to the table. I I glossed over their injury issues. I taught I kept them in my rankings week after week in the top five, even when they would lose. 
Um, was some of that shade towards Auburn? Yeah, maybe. But ultimately, they blew it. They screwed themselves in the first round of the tourney to a 15 seed. My God. Is Calipari out at Kentucky? Is he going to get pushed out? What do you guys think at this point? Like, I, the fans I think that John Calipari is like on him so fast. Oh, yes. He is the enemy of Big Blue Nation right now, and I never thought I'd see the day. You guys I, so, know I lived in Kentucky for 15 years. Yeah. You I, I received, absolutely love to see it. I, I received about 30 text messages, DMs, and Facebook messages over the course of a two-day period from people that I know who are Kentucky fans, and almost every single one of them was saying John Calipari is done. We're mm-hmm. done with John Calipari. That is absurd. If you would have asked them five years ago, John Calipari is like, he's the patron saint of Kentucky basketball now. And now he's, they hate him. Hate My him. God, do they hate him. I was in class today with a kid who went to Kentucky and we had a little heart to heart today. And he <laughs> is ready. He is ready for the Calipari uh, era to end. And one thing that he told me, I will uh, not say the player's name, but let's just say he's a bucket. Um, He was talking about how all of the Kentucky players are offered little assistance to like follow them around and do all of their like dirty work and stuff. Yeah. And (laughs) I was like, I was like, that would be an impermissible benefit, bud. 100%. Yes. So we'll call the NCAA. Yeah, I was just like, wait, what? Like you Dude, just have students like as personal assistants? That is that is hardly the only impermissible benefit mm-hmm. at Kentucky. Yeah. Like this is this is like scratching just scratching the surface. Yeah. So I just want to say I do want to oh you got it, Kyle. Shout out to Josh for telling us exactly what was gonna happen if Kentucky was to lose a tough game. I wouldn't normally say St. Peter's is a tough game. But what did you all say? You said Kellen Grady is the difference maker. He mm-hmm. was one for seven from three and 0 for two from two in that game. He didn't do really anything. Ty Ty one for eight from two, didn't look healthy. Severe Wheeler could not be trusted all year. Davion Mintz could not be trusted all year. And Oscar Sheboy is the only person on that team that knew what the hell to do. Score the ball. Mm-hmm. And he's the only one that could. 16 rebounds, couple assists, couple of blocks, couple of steals. He had an absolutely crazy game, but nobody else on that team showed up. Nobody. So, you know, I I, I don't know if that's a Calipari issue or a roster construction and they just want the best guys all the time and then they never figure out how to mesh them, but something's got to give because that team was horrible. It's probably because Auburn people weren't camping out for them. It's probably because of that. You know that Kentucky can't fire John Calipari, right? Like they gave him a lifetime contract oh, back in 2019. His buyout is like insane. He right? he's owed 86 million dollars over like the next eight years or something. So as far as like, is Kentucky gonna fire him? No, but I feel like John Calipari. This is about the time where you just need to say, screw it. It's time to move on to the NBA. I'm gonna go ahead to the Knicks or wherever the hell that you know wants him. And you know, whoever accepts the losses. most excuses, whoever accepts <laughs> the most excuses actually should take Coach Cal. He has an excuse every time. He never takes responsibility. He never says like, "Sorry, my bad." Didn't have the guys ready. It's always an excuse about like this person was hurt or this person didn't play well. Or 
he's not as bad as the Texas coach, um, Beard. Is that his name? But, like, he always has someone else to blame and defer. But I do think, like, we talked about this in a space one day. The The problem I see for them right now is that he doesn't seem to have a clear vision on how he wants to build his team. If he wants to build with the transfer portal or build with, like, true freshman recruits and, like, go from there. Like, mm-hmm. he and, – and I think, like, I think that speaks to where he kind of finds himself is like, he just doesn't really kind of know where to go from here. And I don't know that it gets like a lot better mm-hmm. that fast. Yeah. Kentucky's on the downswing in the Calipari area. And I don't really see how to read it any other way. I mean, these two, at least in probably my lifetime are the two most embarrassing seasons in Kentucky basketball history. Right. Um, you know, maybe before the Patino years where there were some sanctions and things like that, and the program was down really bad, um, and they had to readjust their expectations and then Patino became the God of Kentucky. Um, but I, I can't really think of a more embarrassing time for Kentucky basketball and there's gotta be changes. I don't know what it is. I, I, if there's, if there's a program that is going to fire their coach with 80 plus million dollars left on his contract, right. it is Kentucky. Um, For sure. But who, even if they did fire Calipari, who do they go after? Like, who is the coach for them? Well, I saw, I saw the gratuitous Mark Few tweets. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, every, every fan base has the grand illusion he has a price (laughs) yeah (laughs) which which has been proven time and time again because the man obviously chooses more money instead of you know continuity um every year right i mean that's program that's absolutely wants a five million dollar raise to go live in kentucky just kidding no one does yeah (laughs) i mean i'll take five million kentucky if you want to hire me i will happily i was about to say do you guys need a team therapist like a dmp um I can make it work, I guess. Yeah, let's I don't know. do it. I feel a little I'll work for the Wildcats. So I, I know we're giving a lot of hell to Kentucky, and rightfully so, but let's give St. Peter's a little credit. I mean, speaking of credit, I mean, Austin, look, they swept Iona in the regular season. Mm-hmm. That means they're legit, right? Like, in Absolutely. Your head, if you can beat Rick Pitino twice, you are legit. So, do we think they have a chance against Purdue, or is this is this yeah. all is this all? Well, they over? also decidedly handled Murray State, which is not mm-hmm. a bad basketball team. Like Murray State's this... been playing great ball all year, like, mm-hmm. and they took care of them. This this mm-hmm. team has the fifth best effective field goal defense in the country. They're twenty eighth best adjusted defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. They are forty eighth best in turnover percentage. They are twelfth best in two point uh, field goal percentage. Sixteenth in three point field goal percentage. Thirteenth uh, in block percentage. This team is a defensive juggernaut for the level of program it is. And you know, honestly, like you could make the argument was St. Peter's really a fifteen seed, mm. like we did with Georgia State, because this this team is significantly, I think, better defensively than you normally find teams from that level uh, of conference. And I think the the uh, Metro Atlantic Conference was way better this year than a lot of people realized. I mean, mm. Iona was exceptional, and they got they got got you know so. Um, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not at all surprised that that they beat Murray State. Not that I I'm not disrespecting Murray State at all because I did really like that team. But um, Purdue has 
a great offense, but a terrible defense. And oftentimes in the tournament, defenses went out. I feel like maybe St. Peter's could be punching a ticket to the Elite Eight. We'll see. I mean, in that Murray State game, they held Murray State to their lowest point total of their season. They only right. scored 60 points, and Murray State is a good offensive team. Um, and they're, you know, they were coached by a great a great coach and Matt McMahon, who's now taking over at LSU. Um, enjoy those sanctions, Matt McMahon. Um, but I think here's the issue with Purdue, which we've talked at length over and over again about our concerns with Purdue and their defense. I just don't know how you have an answer for Zach Eady. Um, I don't know how you have an answer for Trevion Williams inside. And they they don't have the size, but I I do think they're tough as hell. Um, and they are one of the best defenses in the country. Um, but man, I, I think that is easily their hardest task. All right. Well, we've got a 15 seed that could potentially make the elite eight, which I don't know if that's ever happened before. Um, but it's uh, never happened before. Yeah, this would so be the furthest we, an 18 seed has ever gone. We've got history in the making coming out of uh, New Jersey. Um, and speaking of New Jersey, Austin, your favorite team. Why don't you cook on Providence for us for a little while? God's and, team, uh, baby. Yeah, go ahead. The the world's I'm, most I mean, insane. Does Josh want to talk about Providence? Yeah, yeah, I, I have nothing. I have nothing to say. About I'm not going to add anything either because I've already said what I said. I think that they're pretty good, but I didn't know they were going to win the win these games. So I think they're pretty lucky. That's all. I was <laughs> you think they're God? Austin is so. <laughs> Just like give them like a modicum of respect and credit. Like they just smoked Richmond. They Ooh. beat a good South Dakota State team that's one of the best the shooting spiders. teams in the country. The they absolutely demolished, demolished Richmond. And I don't know. I think that there's they've got a good chance against Kansas. I, I'm sorry. I you, really do. You said they just smoked who? Richmond, Richmond and who? South Dakota State. South Dakota State. So they the teams that they were matched up against. They so beat they them. got to the Sweet 16 by beating two Ken Palm teams sub 80 in the nation. I'm sorry. They played who they played. They won by 28 points. They did. They did. And I do not dis- – I'm not doubting that they won. I agree. They won. I saw what happened. Oh, my God. Can someone I think they're lucky, mic? though. Cut his <laughs> mic, Lord. Seriously, stop blasting. Lord, down upon me with look, look Austin, is Providence going to beat Alyssa, Kansas? Yes or no? Is Providence huh? going to beat okay. Kansas? Yes or no? It's going to be tough. Really, really difficult matchup, but I think they've got a chance. I really do. They have, they have no chance. They have right. zero possibility. Mark that down, Kyle. Well, Ken Palm actually only You've has them losing by five points. So that's actually a lot closer than I would have expected. They're going to lose by 20. Josh, you've literally been wrong. Dude, Kansas played like complete ass against Creighton. If they play like that against the best single-digit mm-hmm. winning team in the mm-hmm. nation and let Al Durham cook and let Bynum hit big That's shots down the stretch. Nate Watson going to eat David McCormick up, baby. <laughs> Nate so Watson, I, respecter right here. My <laughs> only rebuttal go. here My only rebuttal here is that, that Providence has played – good teams in my opinion three times this year good good like upper echelon teams three times and the one win that they have in those three games was against a texas tech team that was not yet 
playing to the level that Texas Tech is playing now. It was just not the same team back in early December that it is now. We all we all watch them in Big 12 play kind of blossom, come together, become this this team that could potentially take down Duke. Um, and I don't think that's the same team that, that Providence played in December. As far as is their other two games, both to Villanova, both losses. I I don't see a reality where where they're going to beat Kansas. Um, I've not seen a reality where they're going to beat good teams all year. Congratulations to the Providence fr- fr- uh, Friars for getting to the Sweet 16. Congratulations to Austin for you being right. You said they were going right. to lose in the first round, bro. No, I've been saying this the whole time. And then they Josh, the I just need to. I just, you're like, oh, hang the banner. Hang the banner. Congratulations. If, if I might. Josh sounds like an Auburn fan right now towards Gonzaga because he's basically being like, ooh, Providence didn't play nobody. And, like, (laughs) the the fact of the matter is – Look in the mirror, Linky. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, like, maybe (laughs) – They played people. They played plenty of people, and they lost to plenty of people. It looks ugly on you, bro. And guess what? God hates ugly. Oh, my oh, God. All wow. right, all right, all right. We let you cook. You're in timeout. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was a Friday Night Lights reference. Come that on. That was good. Oh, um, we were going to talk about Iowa choking to Richmond, but we don't want to give Richmond any respect or Josh will have a meltdown. That's so right. Let's go to... Josh would never give a team that runs the Princeton offense any respect. Absolutely <laughs> not. Princeton super. Uh, let's talk about St. Mary's. Uh, I'll start because I had them in my Elite Eight. Um, I was at the game... Uh, I don't really know what to say besides St. Mary's has done what St. Mary's continues to do and muck up the game, but then also fail to score and take advantage of the bad possessions. <laughs> Austin has this his eyes closed like sick. he's just imagining. Austin looks in physical pain right now. <laughs> this, this, so game, sick. this game went 100% exactly as I saw it going, and that is to say... I saw UCLA carving up St. Mary's in the mid-range. I saw Tiger Campbell cooking on Tommy Cousy. Um, I was the difference, in my opinion. Tiger yeah. was absolutely. Who, by the way, pain. looks like a thirty-five-year-old man? Are we going to talk about that? Oh, he very much looks like a thirty. Yeah, we, <laughs> we have, we have definitely had our fair share of uh, discussions on his balding dome. Um, <laughs> He, he looks like a grown, like a grown adult, like not like a caution. Every time I watch him play, I get confused. I'm like, did this man like come back to college to play? Like, what's up with so, that? So but, the very reasons that Randy Bennett, I think, was was concerned about this team and the reason why he benched Kuzi earlier in the year was his inconsistent play. And ultimately, Tommy Kuzi's inconsistent play, I think, kept them out of this game. I mean, he was one for seven from three. Um, he, he just, he just didn't play at the level. I think that we expect him to play it as he's played over these last couple of months. And, you know, I, I think it all really comes down to the matchup here with, with Tiger Campbell. Like we were saying, like this, this Tiger Campbell is a very underappreciated point guard. Um, and one of the better ones left in the tournament, you know, and I, I've been of the opinion that UCLA, was going to win this game. I, I, I think UCLA is going to punch their ticket all the way to the elite eight at this point. Um, and possibly even the final four. God damn it. I hope not. I don't want to play them again. I, don't like but that. I really I think, don't want to play them again. I think this game ultimately what happened and and I mean, there's a lot to say about why St. Mary's lost this game. One of the things I think that was ultimately an issue is that they literally only played five guys. Like, Mm-hmm. Fotu got six minutes. Saxon got a couple. Marcelonis got two. 
and if I'm not mistaken, isn't that who took over like most of the ball handling uh, for a while when Kusi was on the bench? Like, I just don't know what happened. Why Bennett was like, we're just going to play every single starter for 40 minutes, except for toss who needed a tiny bit of rest. Um, I just, it was weird. Toss was forcing shots. Dukas couldn't hit the rim. Uh, Logan Johnson was the only player that looked like he actually knew what the hell was going on. And like you said, like Tiger too fast for Kuzi and Ju Zhang just knew, knows his spots and was able to get to those spots. And that was the game right there. So he, so speaking of Marshall Lunas, who, you know, we all know he comes from great stock. His father was a exceptional European player and then played in the NBA for a long time. Um, he played 33 minutes after February 12th. 33 minutes after February 12th. I mean, that was the core over the course of uh, eight games, I believe leading up to, all the way through the UCLA game prior to that point in the previous two games, he had played 30, 33 minutes. So I don't know what happened with Marshall Lunas. He fell off a cliff though with Bennett. There was some underlying issue that we don't know about because this there's no explanation for how his season went from consistent playing time to absolutely no playing time over that last month yeah and if you look at um you know st mary's best game of the season when they beat gonzaga at home uh toss didn't play 40 minutes he played 24 saxon got 16 Fotu got some minutes bowen played a lot more minutes so like i just don't understand what got into Randy's head that he's going to play against a much more athletic and fast team and only play five guys. Cause if you only play five guys, you know how fast, like they just got burnt. They had no legs in the second half. And when you're down by 10 and there's only seven minutes left in the game, St. Mary's doesn't play fast enough to recover from that. hundred percent. That game was over at that point. So yeah, it, I'm just, I'm so frustrated because I've spent so much time dogging on St. Mary's and their style of play. And then I, and before the tournament, I was like, look, St. Mary's is really good. They're going to win that first round game, but UCLA is a horrible matchup for them. And there's just, there's, they're not going to win that game. They're not. And then I watched that first game against Indiana and I was like, wow, I think St. Mary's can score. And guys, I got got by Big Ten fraudulence yet again. And like, I need to, you know, uh, I need to atone for that in some way. I cannot believe that I was tricked. I was tricked by the devil. I I know exactly how you're going to (laughs) atone. The Providence Friars are going to lose by 40. No, 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 no. That's your atonement right there. Someone cut his mic. (laughs) We've got a lot of mic cutting going on. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. When when the adult goes away, we just sit here and talk. Tucker isn't even here to like stop him. I know. We need need Tuck's intervention where he's like, can't stop me. Okay, so can't guard me too small. Right. Okay, um, so let's move into our final bit of today. We have our candles lit. We have a funeral, a eulogy of sorts. We're gonna turn it over to wonderful friend of the pod, and certainly someone who doesn't deserve all the disrespect that we gave to the fan base on Twitter. Uh. Melissa, what do you have to say? Give us your best send off for your boys. You guys don't want to dunk on all of us first. Do you want to start with me? Uh, we've not done to our your dunking. face, Melissa. We can't do I that. I can't. Look we are at Melissa Munn respecters here. Yeah. Do you? 
believe it or not, want to give each. Believe it or not, it is time to move on. We've we've crossed that bridge. Auburn dunking is over, and uh, we we just want we (laughs) we we want you to to send off your boys with with some respect and love, and you know hope and pray that that y'all will be back next year. Um, Well, my big giant disclaimer is that I am forever a Pollyanna, so like I'm just always happy to be here I'm always happy the guys are there so um obviously yesterday was a little heartbreaking for my tigers slash peacocks um just got absolutely handled from beginning to end we're not going to pretend like anything different happened um it's our worst game of the season by far um our best players played poorly um I do want to just give we're going to get to him more but I want to give a shout out to Jalen Williams for just doing his best to put the team on his back. I cannot wait to watch him play next year, um, 233 days, until I can watch Jalen Williams play basketball again. Um, and it's going to be just the best day ever. Um, but I just – I I'm sad for them. Oh, God. Um, because they've given us, like, so much joy this year. <laughs> um, that I just, like, wanted more for them. I am not disappointed in them at all. Like they were projected to be like fifth in the SEC. They won the SEC regular season. Um, they are a really young team that went into tourney play with, I think you guys can check me on this. There was only one or two players on our team who had played in a tournament. Like our oldest players on Auburn's team that were not transfers had never played in the tournament because we sat out. <clears throat> um, the tournament didn't get played in 2020. And then we sat out in 2021. So we had, no guys who'd ever played in a tournament except for a transfer. And um, and so like I I can't like hold them responsible for not being like a, some grown-up mature team. But um I think we all know they wanted more. I'm not disappointed in them. I'm just grateful like for a beautiful year of basketball and like as someone who has grown up an Auburn fan like my whole life, um, to the point like when I was three years old and knew how to read, I like read a tag in the car that said Alabama. And I looked at my dad and I said, Alabama, don't they know any better? Like, this is like long dying Auburn love. Like we have never been this good at basketball. And it is just so fun to finally have like my team to cheer for in the postseason. Um, and so I'm just grateful that they were here. I'm grateful they made it past the first round, unlike um, other SEC schools and other schools from my state. Um, and and so it's just really, really fun to be here. Um, I cannot believe that Jabari Smith Jr. played for my team. Like, one day, like, in 20 years when he's, like, done the most, like, I'm going to be able to be, say, the – my kids, if I have them or whoever's at the nursing home with me, like that guy played for my school. Like he played for my school and like, um, it's just so good for Auburn. Like we've had a lot of great players the last few years, but like, and they've built a program that like gave us the opportunity to have Jabari Smith Jr. And like Walker Kessler came in and has played such great ball. He, both of them have played a lot of unselfish ball, which you guys know I get frustrated with because if you're the best two players on the court, maybe just keep the ball um, and drive and shoot. But um, I also have a lot of love for our little psychopath guards, even though they 
drive me insane. Um, but my, my most, the biggest love I want to give today is to Jalen Williams, who literally lost teeth in the first game of the tournament, had a dental appointment on Saturday where he got new teeth and then played out of his mind on Sunday. And, um, you know, I miss them already. Like that was the hardest part of Sunday is being like, wow, I don't get to watch them. Um, and I don't get to watch like those guys, like make history for Auburn, but it was such a good year. And like our first time being ranked number one was like something I won't forget. I don't think any of us will. And how could we, our Twitter exploded. <laughs> we won't forget. Either. My phone how overheated, deep fried and overheated. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you guys have been good for a long time, right? I think I told all of you, like, um, because I was an Auburn fan, like, I didn't really have a team to cheer for in the postseason. So I always cheered for Gonzaga or UNC. Um, and so those are my tourney teams. And, uh, you know, now my team is a tourney team and, like, consistently a tourney team. And I think, like, that's just a really fun thing to have for Auburn. And I know y'all were saying earlier, like, Auburn is a football school. Like, we're not going to pretend like they aren't. Like, but seeing the fans be bring their pat their football passion to basketball, it couples poorly sometimes because we don't have quite the knowledge um, of basketball that we do of football. But the passion is there, and I think it's just going to be. Um, I think what feels good about this is knowing that this isn't just a one a shot in the dark thing that happened. Like. Our program has been consistently playing good ball. We've got the most wins in the SEC over the last six years. We've had um, six guys go to the NBA. Um, and, you know, if you had told me 10 years ago, I'd be saying that about Auburn basketball. I'd have been like, that is literally hilarious. Tony Barbie is our coach. Like, that's not happening. And, and so it's just, I'm just super grateful for them. Like, I, in five years when Auburn basketball is still good, in 10 years when Auburn basketball is hopefully still good, like these are the guys we have to thank for that. The guys who put in this time at the beginning and like, um, do I think they had the potential to go like really far in the tournament? Yeah, but this is a one and done. Like you you have a bad game and you're out. And so, um, you know, I think we just have to be like super grateful as a fan base for where we find ourselves with good basketball, finally. Um, and we have the best basketball in the state, and we have the, the best basketball in the Southeast. So, um, well, North Carolina withstanding, I wouldn't want to get on their nerves. But it's just fun. It's fun to be good at basketball. It's fun to um, engage with basketball fans at other schools, especially guys with storied programs like you and you guys. But, um, yeah, it's like I'm a little heartbroken still. I'm not going to lie. So I just want to say that, you know, as far as Auburn fans are concerned, you're definitely our number one, our ride or die. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's why we we wanted to have you here to talk about what happened and to get out that that raw emotion and help people understand the love you have for your program. We do. And I know that they are crazy on Twitter and it's a it's a whole shtick. It's a whole thing. We know it. We own it. But um I think it mostly comes just from a like we're happy to be here place and some people follow that up by getting really stressed and pressed about things but a lot of us are just like man what a team and like even though we didn't get what we wanted this year as far as just like a final like 
result, like, you know, Auburn fans are talking about basketball recruiting. Auburn fans are talking about what comes next for basketball. It's spring football right now, you guys. Like, I don't know if you, I don't know if that means a lot to you guys, but like, it's spring football right now. Like, usually what we're talking about and what we probably will be talking about is like Auburn's quarterback race because it's like a four-man race right now. My Twitter is full of basketball. Like, not the Auburn football race, not spring ball, not a day basketball. And I just think like for me who always loved basketball, grew up watching basketball, my dad, who's a Razorback, like oh. it's, <laughs> you guys didn't know. <laughs> we'll get back to that. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? Um, wow. Yeah. So one day on the pod, you guys were talking about, um, Josh was having a really hard time saying Lou Pig Suey and talking about calling the hogs. And I, grew up my dad taught me to call the hogs which my mom shut that down real quick but um because my mom went to Auburn my dad is from Arkansas yeah she's a smart lady um so my dad is from Arkansas so they that's all they have like that's the big thing I'm going to tell you guys about Arkansas they have nothing else like they have Arkansas they don't have pro teams they Arkansas doesn't even have a rival they have Arkansas that's what they they have every I'm telling you they have Arkansas. (laughs) That's what they have. They have Arkansas and they have Walmart. And um, and so everyone's an Arkansas fan. It doesn't matter where you go to school, like everybody's an Arkansas fan. And so um, like I grew up knowing how to call the Hawks trash. So if you ever need to learn, I got you. Well, I appreciate that. I grew up watching Arkansas basketball with my dad um, because they've always been better. Um, But he cheers for Auburn basketball now. So, Is there any evidence to suggest that they aren't better still since they're the only Kyle, team left in really the tournament? In the oh, come on. Woo. I couldn't let you have the mic so, completely oh, un, unrestricted. Yeah, no, no, hey, that was good. I appreciate it. I will root I for Jamari Smith when he wears a Trailblazers jersey next year, and that will be fine. I'm so cool with that. I, I think we want to – the way we're going to end this out – is a surprise announcement that Auburn basketball is our new blood of the year. Woo! No fan base, no, no program, no coach, no players epitomize the term new blood more than Auburn basketball in 2021 22. Goddamn right. This Auburn. program is, has arrived. Disdain and honor They're on the stage. We're just happy to be here, and, guys, and we are going to be as ridiculous as possible about that. We can't wait for 26-year-old Zeb Jasper to start again next year. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> go Tigers. I, oh I've my always gosh. loved Jeb's game, you know? <laughs> Jeb you know, Zasper. love Jeb Zasper. <laughs> I saw Jeb. a funny meme today, and it was like Chuck uh, Charles Barkley, Chuck, said that he was going to take his shirt off if Auburn won the game. And somebody was like, Miami was literally like, we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're all big Jep Zasper uh, lovers on this pod. Appreciators. That's right. Big time yeah. respecters. Yeah. <laughs> we love a good Jep Zasper show for sure. All right. all right. Well, with that, we have officially crowned the new blood of the year, and we're looking forward to the next slate of games. Uh, this episode will be out on Tuesday and look forward to another one on Thursday to break down the Sweet 16 games and uh, hopefully we'll have Tuck back so that this podcast has some direction. Yeah. We'll <laughs> see you next back, time. Tuck. Please God. Please. 
I, can't I am your captain again. now. <laughs> <laughs> chaos. All this, right. this, this podcast is as chaotic as Katie Johnson.